Welcome to part two of the New Standard Podcast interview with Kevin Walsh. If you haven't checked out part one, it's on the New Standard Podcast feed on whatever app you use to get your podcasts. Otherwise, with no further ado, here's part two of the interview with Kevin Walsh. Talking about your uh, design company a bit, what what's the difference? Well, I guess first question is how much um, how much overlap is there between the work in the design company and the work on Evil? And then the second question is like, what are the big differences? for you running the design company and running evil? Well, in the early days, I mean, you know, obviously we got our wings clipped by two factories and I was pulling double duty between super big and evil and, you know, basically taking the profit out of super big just to keep the lights on at evil. And so there was quite a bit of crossover there just from a design respect, but you know, I was doing all the design myself. I wasn't really leveraging super big too much for the design just because we already had huge projects going on and I couldn't pull my guys from that to put them on a non-paying job. Uh, you know, that obviously went on for like eight years. And then last year, um, I kind of came to a crux after about 18 years of business with super big. And, you know, I became kind of unhappy because, you know, in, in great part, the, the, the evolution of design had kind of really become commoditized. So like the value that we were offering to our customers really wasn't being seen anymore. And you can kind of track that back to the back in the day when websites first came out. There were $100,000 sites with Flash and all this really cool stuff. And now we were so far past that, that you have Squarespace. Right. Or WordPress, right. And so it's the consolidation of design happened and our point of difference really wasn't that special anymore. And albeit, I feel like we were putting out some amazing work and, and, and we were, but you know, I got to the point where the business incubator just kept coming, you know, um, up in every topic. And, you know, my design team really wasn't interested in it because they didn't want to be, you know, businessmen. They wanted to be designers, but, you know, I saw budgets dwindling. I saw more and more people kind of just going through the motions in design. And in great part, that just gave me everything I needed to kind of walk away from it. And so last year, I shifted super big into my personal design consultancy and where I could focus kind of more where my, you know, where my benefits to any client would be. And it also gave me the chance to focus on people that I just want to work with instead of having to take a job that maybe wasn't something that I wanted to do. But, you know, I had seven guys that I had to put food on the table for and car payments and healthcare and all that. Um, so I made a really big shift because I had to focus on evil 150%. I mean, you know, it's long hours and with a small staff that we have and being albeit we're small, we're still a global brand. And, uh, I just couldn't keep up anymore. So that was a huge milestone for me was like, I, I kind of had to have that like talk with myself and say, all right, is this what you want to do in the future? Do you want to do both of these brands simultaneously? You know? And then I just made the decision. I was like, 
and, I, and I've been so much more happy after that too. And uh, so now I get to work with a few select clients, do really awesome work, and it totally fulfills what I look for, you know, in design and strategy, you know, because like that's really where I guess my background comes from is like, you know, in commercial design, you know, the success should come from not only making your clients profitable and, and meeting a design brief, but it's not personal design. So, you know, you're not making artwork, you know, somebody's coming to you and saying, I need to increase my sales, my visibility, my awareness, or we're not connecting with our customer the way we used to. And I can come in and build like a tactical plan for them. And then the design is a product of that. So I kind of like wanted to be more on the thinking end where I could kind of direct designers to achieve these goals. And that's where I'm at now. And, uh, so I'm pretty stoked <laughs> and it allows me more time, you know, just to focus on evil, which evil is an interesting beast for me because, you know, one day I'm doing product design, the next day it's finance. Next day we're doing a direct to consumer website. Um, or the next day I'm out, you know, at trans Cascadia, it's different, which is pretty rad, you know, like, I, I definitely now am respecting what I do as my dream job. Finally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't for like eight years, but, uh, you know, definitely much better now, but that's kind of how I was splitting my time and what I was doing, um, between those two businesses. You know, a lot of people thought super big owned evil at one point, you know, mm. and it never did. Uh, so <laughs> Out of curiosity, the the designers that were at Super Big did they like spin off and do another, um, like start another design um, studio or or did they? Yeah, 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 they're working here in Seattle, and I still work with them. And you know, if I have like a project, you know, where you know I need to bring in the boys, you know, we still have a great relationship with everything. I mean, they're like the most talented guys I've ever worked with, and. Uh, so, yeah, we still keep all that tight, but, you know, and it, it gave them kind of the opportunity to, to go try doing their own thing as well, mm -hmm. um, which <laughs> is a good and a bad thing for people. You know, it, it, I, I, you know, hats off to anybody that started their own business, man. It uh, takes a tremendous amount of uh, concentration and dedication and uh, sacrifice, you know, to make it all work. Um, you gotta be really persistent. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, that's kind of where we're at that. And then, you know, I'm kind of like more focused now personally, like on kind of advisory boards and like more higher level, like strategy and brand positioning and things like that. And like helping people like create product lines. And then, you know, I can kind of, you know, steer things a bit as opposed to, having to be on the ground doing production design, you know, right. is where I can be more effective anyway. So, um, another question from earlier, you're talking about going to the world cup with, uh, you know, 12 foot tall zombies and, uh, and, you know, crazy designs on your, on your tents, um, and kind of overturning this like F1 image of, of mountain biking, and um, 
you know, from other interviews that you've done, I've gotten the impression that that you came up in this like heavy metal punk rock um, kind of kind of space, and I and you know, I think we see it like when you you watch videos and a lot of the music associated with mountain biking and um, and with extreme sports in general is is heavy metal and or or uh, punk to a certain extent. And I'm wondering if you um, if you have any idea of where that comes from and if that is like a specific uh, a specific you know thought that you've put into uh, evil. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Boston and, uh, I was definitely like a little skate punk and, uh, you know, I raced BMX and I was a mogul skier as a kid. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Guess I'm telling everybody. Yeah, you just told them all. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but yeah, so like at a young age, I was like, I really had a big appreciation for the arts and music and, you know, I pretty much came out with a, you know, a paintbrush in my hand and then really just started gravitating towards music and not just punk rock or heavy metal. Um, you know, albeit I did start, you know, drawing Iron Maiden covers on everybody's book covers and <laughs> seriously, it was so funny or like a Pegasus for the girls because, <laughs> well, for obvious reasons, but, uh, no, like as I got older, like, you know, I, I blues is probably my favorite music, you know, specifically Chicago blues. And, um, so I, I've been exposed to all types of different music. Uh, and I think in the context of sports, if you think about, I guess, the tempo at which the sports are being done, that like punk rock music and heavy metal, I think lends itself sometimes. Um, obviously, it's largely based on the type of editing that's being done and the scenery and stuff too. Um, but like, I, I think that type of music creates excitement that's on par with the, ex, you know, the excitement level of the riding. And so it's definitely lent itself, but, you know, we're doing a new edit right now and we were using Lightning Hopkins, who's like one of my favorite guitar players and it's polar opposite, but equally as badass. I mean, you know, shit, all that heavy metal and punk rock came from blues. So, um, right. Yeah, so I, I don't think I don't think they're synonymous with each other, but I, they're definitely like it's low hanging fruit, right? You're like, oh, here's here's uh, you know the Dead Kennedys or Bad Religion or you know the Ramones or whoever you know the tempos of those songs that they have. I think just goes hand in hand with kind of bike riding and snowboarding and skateboarding, but on the same token, you know you got guys you know that are doing amazing films and they're using soundscape music or they're using, you know, country songs or whatever. Right. So I, I think like a lot of it too comes in from what the video content is and things like that. But I, I definitely think for our brand, it's kind of funny cause you know, the name's evil. I hate the name. I've hated it since day one, <laughs> it's so funny, but it, it ended up becoming like a branding challenge for me. Um, so because I didn't want it to come off as like meathead thug brand, you know? And so that was the big challenge with the brand. And, you know, when you incorporate guys like Jeremy Fish into the artwork and, you know, people like Morning Breath and Zio Ziegler and all the artists that we've had, you know, been fortunate enough to work with, um, it kind of offsets maybe what 
the preconceived notion of what evil would look like. But I, I definitely wanted to kind of keep that punk rock in there. And it's really funny when anybody starts at evil, you know, I kind of walk them through the original business plan and everything. And it was like, it was funny. It was like one third epitaph records, one third Ducati and one third Subaru. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and people are like, what? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's got the elegance of Italian design. I'd like to think it's got the reliability of Subaru now, not in the past guys, <laughs> all over the forums. Um, and then kind of the, the punk rock, that epitaph put out, you know? And, uh, that's really like personally where I was coming at it from. I just thought that was like a cool amalgamation of, of other brands that put together kind of were close to where I wanted to take it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where it all comes from. Do you have a favorite band off of epitaph? Uh, well, it would be like, It'd definitely be Bad Religion and then um, R.L. Burnside. So those would probably be my two. I'm a, yeah, like lifelong Bad Religion. Uh, probably probably just like everything else in my life, probably just a big nerd, big Bad Religion nerd. <laughs> uh, well, there, I mean, I don't know. At the time, you know, when you're a kid, they're using all these huge words and you're like looking these words up when you're like, well, I'm way older than you probably, but yeah, I'm like 12 years old and I'm like, what does this word mean? And I'm almost like getting educated, you know, and then ironically, you know, at, at a couple of the shows, I was with Greg Gaffin, the singer, and he literally decimated me in chess on several different occasions. So, uh, I don't know. Those guys just always really resonated with me. They were like really intelligent guys, but they were putting out the music that I, I really enjoyed and, you know, and they were political too, in a lot of respects, like they weren't accepting of the status quo, if you will. Right. Intelligent on three chords. Yeah. They really worked those three chords. Good. <laughs> um, what, what do you look for when you have, when you, you're looking for, for sponsored writers? Uh, this is completely, completely shifting here. Um, cause you know, I think so right now, I mean, uh, Luke is your like main, the main guy who's representing the brand. And obviously you had, when you started out, uh, you know, Steve Smith and Thomas Vanderham, um, and there's been like a, a team along the way. And so, yeah, you know, what, what do you look for if, if somebody was like, all right, you know, I want to ride for evil, um, what what would stand out to you or, or what does stand out to you for riders who you end up uh, uh, bringing on to the, to the brand? Well, first of all, I think you may or may not have been stalking us in our office because <laughs> these are all like the conversations we've been having. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, it's I'll take down the mic after the interview. The, the, yeah, the... <laughs> thanks. Can you, can you take down the bathroom webcam as well? <laughs> it's just a little bit creepy. Um, no, I mean, this is another awesome question, man. So a big part of like when we started, it wasn't like we didn't want to create heroes. Like I was always kind of against that. I've always been more of like the pretty low key dude in regards to like when I go ride and stuff, I don't ride in big groups. It's, it's kind of always about like having a good time with my buddies and, you know, you don't take it too seriously. And, um, you know, originally like 
we ended up with Stevie, which was amazing, man. Like, and Stevie was always really evil, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I miss that kid, man. I was just talking to his mom yesterday. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys like Stevie, Brooke, Luke, they were all evil, man. They just represented exactly what it was about. Like those guys knew how to cut loose and they also knew how to flip the switch on race day, you know, and they weren't robots. But on the same token, like we weren't really trying to put these teams together as much as like it was about personalities, right? And I think this whole word sponsorship is such a shitty word now because everybody just wants to get sponsored. And at, and at the core of the issues, like if you're really good, people will find you, right? And they'll probably want to connect with you. I mean, there's a myriad of athletes out there that we could probably go work with that don't fit our brand, right? And, um, you know, you got to kind of be a little bit of a derelict and you got to be into things other than riding bikes. You know, like I personally look for people that are well-written, that have something to say, you know, that do activities outside of bikes. They're not just focused on bikes. Um, whether they're musicians, glass blowers, uh, you know, what, whatever. Um, that's really what we're looking for. And we've had these internal discussions about kind of the state of the union. You know, it's like in the U S so many people are like, Oh, I want to be sponsored. Well, what does that mean? You know? And like, if you're a professional athlete, that's a job, you know, you, you are getting paid and you need to go out and you need to do your job, right? Just like any other job. And, uh, if you show up late, couple times, you're probably going to get fired, right? Or you're going to get a warning or whatever. Well, being a professional athlete is conducting yourself as such and doing the job that you agreed to with whoever's hired you. Well, when you get kind of into this whole word of sponsorship, I think it's kind of really been tainted now. And uh, like we personally focus on personalities now. We like won't even use the word team. We won't use the word sponsorship, any of that anymore because it's somewhat degrading now, you know, and I think specifically in the United States, it's like everybody's sponsored. They're like, Oh, I'm sponsored by this company or this company or that company. And it's like, I think somewhere along the road, these companies just started, you know, trying to get more awareness and they're like, Oh, we'll do all these grassroots programs. We'll do all this and we'll do that. Well, I'm still pretty actively in the community out riding and stuff. And I'm always a fly on the wall And I don't really hear people always speaking that great about the people that were gracious enough to give them product. And they're not loyal, you know? Um, Look at Greg Menard. Look at Steve P. Like, those guys have been on Santa Cruz forever. And they're loyal and they're professionals, man. Those guys, it's what everybody should look up to. And uh, I feel like somewhere along the road, man, that stuff went sideways and now you just have all these people just just trying to get sponsored and, and don't get me wrong dude when we were all little kids you're like ah, i want to be a sponsored rider right <laughs> i think when you become an adult you start looking and going okay well we're past that at this point and so you know and then there's the ambassador thing right but i think what it really boils down to is a lot of people just want to get a good deal on product because we're in an industry where the people that use the product the most can't even afford it you know like, think about it. We're, we're rallying on these bicycles that cost as much as a new KTM, right? It's like yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. And then 
you know, and then you're driving a shit box car with a shit box rack with this, you know, this like $8,000 bike on the back. And so I think that in great part kind of drives this weird behavior that we have now about being sponsored. So for us, like we're avoiding that altogether. You know, we just, we have people that match our brand, our thinking, and that, you know, in a, in a lot of respects are just, you know, our voice in other places. And that's really what we're trying to do. We have Chris Boyce, you know, down south and Chris couldn't be a better partner for us. You know, Luke's been part of the, I've known Luke since he was 10. So it's crazy. Been riding with him for that long. Um, and, uh, and Luke just matches the brand, you know, and, uh, Aaron Bradford, uh, you know, lots of great people that are connected with the brand and, and those guys understand who we are. They can go out and have a good time and they can share that experience with other people that we meet along the road. And to me, that's more important these days than bringing on the fastest racer in the world or the best free rider or out of their personality, what we're doing and can they communicate the message of the evil experience to our customers and show them a good time and still be professional, you know, like I, I feel like any, anybody would speak in positive light of any of our guys and the interactions that they've had. Um, so that's kind of our take on kind of the whole sponsorship thing. I hope it doesn't come off like negative. I just feel like it's gotten so far out of hand that we're going to do our little part to kind of like, instead of trying to give people deals on bikes so that they can go race, I'd rather give people places to race or trails to ride on. So I'd rather put our efforts into that right. as, as opposed to, Hey man, here's a discount on the bike. And then, you know, six months later they sell the bike and then they're on to the next best deal. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are afraid to say that publicly, but I, I've just watched it over the years and you know, it, it's hilarious. You know, you see the brand jumpers and they're like on a new bike every year. Mm -hmm. So how can you build a relationship with a company? How does that speak, you know, to how good the company is? And like, if you're jumping all the time and you're just looking for the next best thing, you know? can I, can I just, I agree with you 98% of the way, but can I just push back on that last point a little oh. bit? Yeah. Um, so my, my, my only thing is that if somebody is doing this professionally mm -hmm. and, and so for them, you know, the, the, the way that they, um, find, you know, find sponsors and, and all of that, that's, I mean, that's their job, right? Part of their job sure. is also, you know, being able to support themselves and support, uh, if they have a larger team, like make sure that they, uh, can afford you know, to, to keep everybody, uh, under a roof and, uh, and eating in, in and out of the season. Um, and so I, I wonder if like some, you know, somebody who jumps from brand to brand, isn't it fair to say like, well, that, I mean, that person is, um, is just doing what's, what's best for them professionally. It's the same way that, you know, if a company offered you, um, you know, a higher salary and, and you're just, you're working for the company, then, then 
would it not be in your your benefit or uh, yeah, would not be in your benefit to to jump to that company? Sure, and and I don't think that's aimed at professional athletes at all because those are always multi year contracts. It's very mm-hmm. rare. I'm talking more about like you know grassroots and some of that interim level sponsorship stuff. It's that if you're going to work with a brand, I mean, it's like going to a company, right? So if I hire you and I have to train you and teach you what the company is about and you're just getting settled in and then you're always jumping, there's no value to either company, right? Mm-hmm. So to you, to you as an up and coming, you know, athlete, you're showing that you're not going to stay anywhere and you're not loyal. And then to the company, it's like, well, hey, we, you know, we just educated you. We're just getting started here because you can't do much in one year. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of what I'm aiming at is that the I think sponsorship in general is it's just being too loosely handed out. Whereas like when you go to Europe, I mean, it's a totally different um, animal over there. You know, like you'll get a you'll get a top three IXS racer or not IXS, uh, the IXS cup. You know, and that guy comes to you and he's with a totally different proposal. You know, the guy's like, well, I'll wrap my van. I'll do this at my cost. And I want to grow with your brand. And it becomes more of like a partnership. Whereas I think kind of in the U.S., it's very different right now. It's more about just saying you're sponsored. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there's I, I don't mean to make a completely raw generalization there, but I've just seen it over the years. And um, I think that's it's becoming a huge problem, you know, because the guys that are out there really putting the effort in sometimes can't get the support. And then the people that aren't are getting more support. So that's kind of where I'm, I draw my line with it and kind of why we're going the route we're going is that I think we can be more beneficial by helping to get areas opened for riding. We can help get trails built and, focus on a few of our personalities that we have that totally fit with our brand as opposed to catching casting this really large net and having to maybe do it the way that it's been done in the past we're just trying to do it i think a little bit differently which i think might could be the uh the motto for the whole (laughs) whole company right (laughs) (laughs) apple might have that already but um (laughs) whatever <laughs> uh so i like to finish off these interviews with nine ridiculous questions um <laughs> so, some some less ridiculous than others so is that all right for you yeah yeah all right um starting with what's the best biking movie or video oh shit uh oh my god <laughs> I'm blowing it. Um, can I come back to that one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, coffee or beer? Coffee. What's your favorite piece of riding gear? And can you give a one-sentence review? My chamois, because it keeps my junk happy. <laughs> if you only had one place you could ride for the rest of your life, where would it be? Molini, Italy. What's a tip that's helped you out in riding and in life? Look ahead. Favorite post-ride drink? Booker's whiskey. Favorite during-ride drink? 
Booker's whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the most scared you've been on the trail? Uh, definitely Italy in the high alpine. Riding on some like highly exposed knife edges. And uh, feeling like if you fall off, that's the end. <laughs> that, that does sound terrifying. And or a bike path through Seattle, which are both equally terrifying. <laughs> uh, a movie is going to be made about your life. What genre is it and who plays you? Holy shit. Uh, it would be a comedy. <laughs> and... Um, Hmm. Might have to throw Brad Pitt in there. He can make me look a hell of a lot better. <laughs> uh, and finally, you're about to be sentenced to death. What is your last meal? I need an entree, dessert, and a beverage. Oh, man. Napoli's Pizza from Haverhill, Massachusetts. A glass of Pappy Van Winkle, 23-year. And probably tiramisu. Fair enough. Can we go back to the the bike movie or video? Do you have an answer to that one now? Probably gonna say seasons. I think that was a uh, it's a good one. That's uh, one of my favorites. Perennially. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's probably it right now. Because for some reason, I can't think of all the other movies. <laughs> Uh, if people want to know more about the, learn more about the brand or, uh, follow you, um, you know, just in general, learn, learn more, where should they go? Uh, just to the website, evil-bikes.com. Right on. Well, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you, man. Hopefully I didn't ball it up too bad. <laughs> Absolutely not. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to that interview with Kevin Walsh, and thank you again to Kevin for coming on. If you liked what you heard, then definitely subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and a review on iTunes or in Stitcher. You can also send me feedback directly at thenewstandardpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at thenewstandardpodcast. Or you can follow me on Twitter at NSP underscore Elon. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll talk to you all next week.